To start off my Monday, I woke up and I was texted this link by people who aren't typically very involved in church politics. And that's when I knew it was going to be a tough Monday. The New York Times article read, Pope Francis allows priests to bless same-sex couples. You're going to hear a lot of language out there, a lot of people doing a, running apologetics for the Pope. The document itself repeatedly states you may bless these couples. And I think it's very important to remember what makes them a couple. In the eyes of anyone with a brain, what makes them a couple is their sexual relationship. And the Pope's planners are like, well, technically... The teaching of the church didn't change, and that God promised us that teaching wouldn't change. Even if it technically remains the same, in effect, it has been changed. So what I have a problem with is that we have Catholicism on paper only. One more acquiesce, one more bowing down to the mainstream sexual revolution. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Loopcast. Today, I'm joined by Erica and Josh, my co-hosts, and we were blessed with a really slow oh, news week. Wait, uh, you said, that, of course, is set in. You Josh. just said blessed. Nothing to talk about. <laughs> Short show today, guys. Oh, Tommy's getting punny. <gasps> I thought Freudian I slid slip. that one in. To start off my Monday, I woke up and I was texted this link by people who aren't typically very involved in church politics, and that's when I knew it was going to be a tough Monday. The New York Times article read, Pope Francis allows priests to bless same-sex couples. And so I saw that, and I didn't know exactly where to go, but first I went to the document uh, from the DDF. It was a declaration, which is actually very important uh, in regards to this. The declaration is called Fiducia Supplicans, and as always, I'm going to go to Erica so all the mainstream news outlets ran with this and they're writing headlines like I just read from the New York Times. But I think what is important for everyone here to hear in clear language, what is the major takeaway from this document, Fiducia Supplicans? Yeah, so the reason this declaration was written was to allow priests now to bless what it calls couples in irregular marriages and to bless same-sex couples. You're going to hear a lot of language out there, a lot of people doing a, running apologetics for the Pope saying, well, we're just going to bless individuals. We're not changing church teaching on, on any of this. It's very clear it's not changing church teaching on marriage. It said the document itself repeatedly states you may bless these couples. And I think it's very important to remember what makes them a couple. In the eyes of anyone with a brain, what makes them a couple is their sexual relationship. And that is what priests are now told they may bless. And in fact, we've had uh, the one of the archbishops of Austria just came out and he said priests must bless same-sex couples now and people in irregular relationships. There's never been a question whether or not individuals can get blessings, no matter what they are. If they're an alcoholic. Right. Yeah, if you're an alcoholic, if you've got all these other problems and you're a complete total sinner, you're like, Father, I, I need a blessing. Of course. But if you come up, you know, a couple, a same-sex couple who are in a relationship and that relationship is involves sexuality that's disordered in the eyes of the church. And now the question is, can you bless that couple? And he, it wasn't the same Pope just two years ago. 
signed off on a letter that said, actually, we, we can't, we can't do that. And so now he's already changed his mind in two years. And the effect, I mean, so the, they go to, as you say, great pains to say, well, technically, so we're not using the liturgical rite and blessings that are used for the, a married couple between a man and a woman. Therefore, there won't be a confusion. Yes, there will be confusion. I mean, if you're eight years old and you see this same-sex couple getting blessed by a priest, you're thinking, oh, the church is okay with this couple being blessed. There's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with two men or two women in a lifelong sexual relationship with each other. That's what they're going to think the church now, now thinks. And I, I, this is the thing that you get these Pope splainers, as I like to call them. And the Pope splainers are like, well, technically, the teaching of the church didn't change. And that God promised us that teaching wouldn't change. So, but the, that's n such little comfort. Such little comfort. Because even if it technically remains the same, in effect, it has been changed. In the eyes of everyone with eyeballs, they can see it's going to be changing, you know? And the whole point, as Ross Duthus said, as usual in his pontificate, the misleading media headlines are the point. That's what they want. That's the catechism of, catechesis of Pope Francis that everyone would get from a mass media, everything that's going on. And you're right, Tom, you got a text, so did I. My brother texted me like, the Pope is, is saying it's okay to bless same-sex couples. My brother doesn't go to mass as much as he should, but he's like, that seems weird. I thought the church was, that homosexuality is wrong. That's what everyone is learning now. It's important because a lot of people, of course, want to give proper deference to Pope Francis and not say anything controversial or any slander. But I think it's important to, to note here, the person who wrote this document, uh, Archbishop, or is it, no, he's a Cardinal, Cardinal he's Fernandez. He's a Cardinal now, yeah. Uh, he wrote this document. He's the prefect of the DDF, which uh, was previously the CDF, and we'll get into that a little bit. But basically the whole point of this office is to promulgate right. and defend Catholic doctrine. And Pope Francis, yes, indeed, did sign this document. It's co-signed by him. This guy, uh, Fernandez, he is basically Pope Francis's ghostwriter. He's written a lot of his encyclicals. So it's not that, oh, this happened and Pope Francis was vaguely aware of this. This came straight from Pope Francis. And this is someone who's Catholic and wants to provide proper respect and deference. But I think it's really important to note that this happened. And I actually got a text, like Josh said, in the group chat, like uh, when I said, this isn't that surprising, like if you've been following this. And a lot of people are like, well, what do you mean this isn't surprising? I'm shocked right now. And maybe it's because we've just been really close on this beat. But Erica, I think when I think of this, I think back to the change of from the CDF to the DDF, especially considering that former Pope Benedict at the time, Cardinal Ratzinger, was the, uh, the prefect of the CDF. So can you go over that change and then what has come with the appointment of Cardinal Fernandez to that position? Right. So in 2022, there was a restructuring of the Curia. And part of that restructuring under Francis was to go from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith to what's now the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith. And of course, this past summer, he appointed his friend Cardinal Fernandez, best known uh, previously as author of a book called Heal Me With Your Mouth, The Art of Kissing, which he described as a catechesis a for weirdo. Argentinian teenagers on sexual practices, healing your soul. So yeah, bizarre. Book. I mean, so the, the, the change from the congregation to the dicastery came along with this 
uh, sort of statement from the Pope that in the past we have used sinful means to prosecute heresy. And while defense of the faith, while your mission to defend the truth of the faith hasn't changed, I want the means to change. And Fernandez has certainly done that. You know, when you're responding, he's, he's one of the responders respon- responders responsible. I can't even talk. One of, he's one of the guys responsible for helping the Pope answer the dubia. And what you get, what we've come to expect from Rome, coming out of the Synod, of course, on synodality, he's also part of that. We expect now these long documents like fiducia supplicants that that are words and words. We have 5,000 words to tell us priests can now bless same-sex couples. This, yeah, this should one not sentence be would do. No, you shouldn't. To, to clarify doctrine. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No. Yes. Like, But instead, we get these long, convoluted explanations that are really smoke screens with all of these words saying we're not changing doctrine, but we are going to change the way that we practice our faith. And again, this is so un Everything about it. This is so, uh, it's a divorce. Everything about it is un-Catholic because how we act matters. What we do, our moral action and our liturgical action matters. And the, the document makes this crazy distinction between liturgical versus pastoral blessings. And it says, uh, this is a quote from the document that I think it's worth really kind of digging into. So it reads, the church, moreover, must shy away from resting its pastoral praxis on the fixed nature of certain doctrinal or disciplinary schemes, especially when they lead to a narcissistic and authoritarian elitism, whereby instead of evangelizing, one analyzes and classifies others. And instead of opening the door to grace, one exhausts his or her energies in inspecting and verifying. And I want everyone needs to listen up. I don't care what you studied in college. You could be a welder. You can understand this, right? He's saying we can't let our actions be dictated by our beliefs as Catholics. I mean, that in itself, it makes no sense. It's a call for people to bless sodomy, to bless adulterous sinful relationships. This is, do not be fooled by, well, I can believe one thing as sort of the ideal Christian life, but I don't really have to strive, you know, to live that out in my life. It's, it's just too hard. So uh, what I have a problem with is that we have Catholicism on paper only, and that's just troublesome. So we have, you know, with Pope, we go all the way back to Pope Paul VI, you know, and he wrote Humane Vitae, and it's like, it's true. It, what he wrote was actually true. However, it was all that, the, the, you know, Catholicism on paper only. In practice, was that followed up with, you know, formal corrections, getting rid of bishops and priests who didn't believe in it? No. So what, what, what the effect was is that roughly 90% of Catholics contracept, you know, because theologians came along and said, well, you know, you can invoke your conscience if your conscience says this and that kind of stuff. And so then everyone did. And 90% of Catholics, at least, contracept. So now we have, again, Catholicism on, on paper only, where technically the church is saying, well, we can't technically bless this or that, but we can. And it's like, what? The effect is, in practice, 
one more acquiesce, one more bowing down to the mainstream sexual revolution. And again, I just, with this Pope, I feel like you can't pretend like, oh, well, since he technically didn't declare something ex cathedra, therefore, he, this, the, the Pope has been doing this for 10 years. That he knows what he's doing. It's not like a surprise. And I guess when are bishops and priests going to step up and say, this is, we're not falling for this game anymore. You want the mainstream mass media to broadcast this sort of, well, this is what Catholicism is now. So uh, I, here's, a, here's a practical example, because I'm, I, of course, we can get lost in the language. And first off, it's all confusing. And much of it is actually intentionally written to be devoid of any type of moral judgment. Disorder was too much, right, Tom? Remember that? The gay said, referring to homosexuality as, a dis, as disordered, was cruel and mean. So now it's like irregular, which is almost completely devoid of anything. It's like, what? And what Irregular? It's like... Uh, Reminds me of words like inadmissible. Yeah, inadmissible, irregular. And I would like to point out, I don't, I don't think we've zeroed in on this enough in the commentary I've seen that it's not just same-sex couples, which is that, that sexual behavior is grave deviancy. But it is also now, I mean, does irregular mean adulterous? Sex? Does it mean uh, incestuous sex? Is it polygamous sex? The language is so vapid that it allows for all these extreme examples to potentially happen. Again, adding to the confusion. Well, in the West here, it's same sex. No, in the West, it's same sex couples. That's what we are focusing on. But in Africa, in Africa and in South America, the issue is polygamous relationships, right? We can't be so Western centric and be like, oh, this is all about same sex couples. There's a lot of bishops who woke up Monday morning all over the world and they're like, oh my goodness, so now half my flock is going to be coming for a blessing because this is my number one issue. Not to be all Western centric, but I'd like to bring up a practical example because, uh, and I was encouraged even to be careful about this, but I think it's now worth mentioning. The most practical example happened the other day. Father James Martin uh, just happened to have a New York Times camera crew with him. Multiracial. Blessed a. Married, non flamboyant, at least in the picture. Civilly married. They were wearing wedding rings and uh, holding hands inside of a church. And Father James Warren gave them this blessing and talked about how happy it was to finally be able to do this as if he never did before. Uh, but of course, the problem is, is that the New York Times is there. They're blasting out to the whole world. And I think Josh brought this up earlier like the confusion that that would cause for a child to see that. I think. There's not like the child isn't going to be able to go through this document and be like, well, they're talking about the difference between a pastoral and liturgical. The pains that the document goes through to try to, uh, you know, put stipulations like, okay, this can't be done, you know, during a civil uh, wedding ceremony. This can't be done when people are wearing traditional wedding garb. Right. Because, Tom, what this comes down to is people like James Martin think sex between men is not immoral. Sex between women is not immoral. That's what he thinks. And that's what a vast majority of Americans now think. In Catholic teaching, we're like, well, I understand you might have these attractions, but actually it's disordered and therefore immoral. It's not according to God's plan. And, and actually, we, we think it's better for you if you do not participate in that. And we're in the minority in this country. Now it seems like the leadership in our own church doesn't really actually care that much about it, which is disturbing because 
we have a shepherd who's just letting the sheep go crazy. But to the point, le- lefty Catholics would think, this is great because they don't think there's anything wrong with sex between men or sex between women. That's, they think that's normal. They think we're the weirdos. Right. And to point out, too, it, it's like, OK, well, we're going to put the nice little tidy sacrament of marriage over here and it's not <laughs> right. going to be affected at all by how we treat these sexual relationships outside of marriage. OK, so blessing an irregular union and or a same sex couple. Again, these are sexual relationships. It actually demeans the sacrament of matrimony. To me, it's like, would we ever imagine a Catholic priest going to a meeting of the KKK and offering a blessing to the group? What if, what if a porn convention in Las Vegas asked a Catholic priest to come and give a blessing? I mean, you would think, well, wait a minute now. Um, kind of irregular. We probably should not yeah, do that irregular. because someone might think, that you're blessing the activity that these people are obviously associated with. It makes me think of like Jesus and the woman at the well, the prostitute at the well, and he said, go home to your husband. It wasn't continue living with this man who's not your husband. It's go home to your husband. It's, it's very direct language. He didn't say, okay, I bless you. Now go off and do whatever you want. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the, all blessings derived from Jesus Christ himself. So that's why it's so frustrating to get this office that is in the innovative, innovative space of church teaching coming up with new words called like a regular whatever. It's like, if we were to get back to the basics of revealing what's already been taught to us, that's always been taught. And that's what's frustrating about the document. The word same-sex couples in there, that's never been used anywhere in the Bible. It's never been used anywhere in church teaching because it's not a thing according to Catholic lexicon. We know marriage. And you can't even post-splain, you can't even post-splain to say, well, technically a blessing of individuals. It, it, it was referred to couples throughout the whole Correct. document. Correct. And like couple, what's a couple like? What constitutes that? Like, we don't have specific language for what that even is. Like, we know what marriage is, and we've taught what marriage is for a long time. We know what adultery is. We know what sodomy is. Like, these are all very specific terms that carry weight. Like, we can't come up with a new lexicon to avoid morality. That's what's happening here. Right. And the idea of couple, this is certainly, and obviously in the press, left Catholic media, in fact, Catholics are just perceiving this. I don't care what side of the aisle, quote unquote, you fall on. Everyone's perceiving this as analogous to marriage. Why do you think Father James Martin is just like throwing a party down in New York City? It's because he's he's right. Something has changed and the public sees this as an analogy to marriage. Here's another word that did not appear in the document. Two more actually. Whenever the church speaks on human sexuality, we talk about the covenant Christ and his church, obviously Ephesians 5. This is why this is why this does touch on the sacrament of marriage. We, t- we touch on the covenant of God with man through Jesus Christ. We talk about chastity as the virtue which regulates our sexual drives and impulses. And we talk about repentance when we fall off the chastity wagon. Neither the word repentance nor chastity make a single appearance in this document. The word conversion. Instead, we get this word. Here's a new innovation transcendence. I saw this word and I thought, what is this transcendence? This is like Teilhard de Chardin, resurrected times 10. And he's the idea that somehow this couple comes to the priest and they want to be open to transcendence. This is not Catholic language or belief. Yeah. Great points all around, but maybe something I think we can offer to people at this point. And this is the sense that I get just talking to people. People are very frustrated 
that they're being put in this position where they're getting hammered now by liberal media that's maybe misrepresenting their faith, and then also from a pope and the leadership in the church that is also putting out documents that are antithetical to what they believe to be the truth. Uh, there's some people that are very discouraged right now. Uh, how would you right. recommend proceeding forth in this current situation? I don't know if there's a magical happy answer, because frankly, the fact is, I believe that the problem with the 21st century right now is it needs church, authentic church teaching. But the Catholic lefties think apparently what's wrong with the church is that it needs to get with the times. It's like, no, no, no the times are what's wrong. The church is the church's authentic teaching is what's right. And we're sitting on treasures. We should share with people our understanding of what it means to be the human person. What is God's plan for the family? What is the plan for human sexuality? And instead, this current pope is burying all those truths and he's spreading this stuff that I mean, it's look, it's theological horse manure and it's not helpful. And we need to stand up and say, you're not helping. I mean, again, with this Pope, he does the he he puts out these documents and these statements that lead ninety nine percent of people to be like, "Whoa, I didn't know the church was changing that." And then one percent to say, "Well, technically, it's not changing, and therefore everything's just fine." It's not just fine. Stop saying it's just fine. This is terrible. The fact is, we have had a church on paper, Catholic teaching on paper, but the effect in practice for sixty some years has been. People think contraception is perfectly fine. You know, like I grew up a, a kid in a suburban milk toast, St. Bingo's style church. I had no idea of my own church teachings. I'm, I was in college. I was out of college. People like, you know, actually the church thinks masturbation is immoral. I'm like, what? Like, I, I didn't know this. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, dude, you're lusting after other people. You can't do that. Like, oh my gosh. Okay, I got it. All right, makes sense. How is it that the church... So this idea that, well, everyone knows what church teaching is. No, they don't. I was 35 years old. I said this a million times. I was 35 years old before I ever heard a priest talk at Sunday Mass that, about abortion. All, so what we have is the church of nice, where we're not going to confront you, and now they're going to see gay couples come up and getting blessed. So people are going to be like, oh, everything's fine with it. Because you're weird if you think it's not okay. You're weird if you think, I love you, but that's not really what you know God's plan is. And so again and again and again, we're going to have the church on paper where people say, well, the church technically teaches this. Does she? Does she actually teach it? If the Pope and all the bishops and priests to say, well. Right. I want to piggyback on that. I think we have to recognize that the hour is very late, that this papacy, to borrow uh, Ed Hitchens from First Things, this is a black hole of a papacy that sucks all. It's sucking the light. Like Josh said, the effectiveness of our church teaching, people don't even know what that is. And I would say if you have children, if you have especially teenagers and they are at all out in the world, don't think that they're going to somehow avoid this that we're hearing, that that their friends, that their professors someday, that their their coworkers someday aren't going to be like, oh, hey, didn't yet Pope change the teaching? You need to sit your kids down. You need to make sure that they know what their faith teaches, what this means, what just happened. And and also, and this is, again, I don't want to like Pope explain or make sure oh, everything will be fine, but that this is the way it has been. We have had popes in the past, Pope Honorius, look him up. I'll put him in the links. You got to understand that, that it's not that 
the Pope has this ultramontane ability to change church teaching. Absolutely. But can they make can they make drastic heretical decisions in practice? Right. Are at set the us cost back of decades. souls. Set right, us back that decades. Set the church back to I mean, we're back in like Arian heresy times, guys. This is six, the the hour is six twenty five AD and the clock is striking thirteen. And you need to get with your family. If you are a priest, please preach to your flock the actual teaching of the church and do not be and swayed why. by this. And, and why. why? And the why. There's a reason we believe yes. this. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I think it is very late. Uh, I read something really interesting from St. John Christendom about how he believes that most bishops actually won't make it to heaven, uh, which was a really... The road to hell is paved with the skulls of bishops. Which I was believe a, that a was... Really, uh, uh, <laughs> is that Francis de Sales? I'm going to go look that up. I, no, St. John Christendom was talking about something different. It, 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 was, it was about how because bishops have so much responsibility for the salvation of souls that are under their authority, that if they lose a lot of those souls, that's going to be, you know, put on them. Basically, they have to go in front of God and answer to that. And I think no one wields more responsibility. If I could finish, if, if no one wields more responsibility than the Pope right now, the Pope is the leader of the Catholic Church on earth right now. I think, and this is something that's like, it's, it's hard for me to do, but I think is, is a good and necessary thing to do. We need to pray for our Pope right now very seriously. I'm very concerned about his eternal soul. Uh, I think that how he is acting, let's just, I, I say the try to give the best possible intention of like, he's trying to, um, he's trying to, uh, he's, he's a fallible person. I'll pray for him. I don't mistakes. think he's got good intentions at all. Right. So, but we need to pray for him. He has a lot of responsibility over souls and his eternal soul could be in trouble is all I'm saying. So just think of, think of that with this in mind. Yeah. I mean, it he's doesn't a, mean it, it should make you any less. You know, you know who he reminds me of Tom? He reminds me of Barack Obama in the sense that the mainstream media and, and a, a whole bunch of my liberal friends just think, Barack Obama was the nicest guy in the world and he's so cool and hip and all that stuff. And, and in, and in fact, Barack Obama was extremely petty and mean to his opponents. He was not graceful at all in victory. And that's Pope Francis. He is just vindictive and petty, you know, and, and it just gets to like, you know, he had this crackdown on the Latin mass. He kicks out, you know, Cardinal Burke out of an apartment. And yet the scandalous Cardinal that just got, you know, Angelo, Back he just you, got yeah. uh, booted in a court. He's still got a luxury apartment, but you won't have it for Ricardo Burke. And so, you know, I, I, I mean, yeah, I obviously I pray for him. It's the guy who's got nothing but uh, he just spits venom just about every day. Like he hates Catholics in, in the United States, especially those who are more conservative. And he just think like now you're going forward and, and giving the green light to the blessing of same-sex unions. I suppose you can bless same-sex unions so long as you don't do the blessing in Latin, right? <laughs> well, not to steal from the internal heads at Catholic Vote, That's but right. here's a tweet uh, in very specific language if you were worried about this papacy being able to be specific. Uh, all gay blessings should be restricted to non-parish locations, not included in parish bulletins, and be restricted to priests ordained before 2021. Oh, wait, that's the traditional Latin mass. So uh, the papacy is capable of specificity and cracking down uh, just on things that it chooses to right now. But uh, to, to, I think I want to end on this because I think it's important. Uh, this is not time to despair. And I did an interview with this guy, Alec Torres. It's going to be coming out soon. It's about uh, persecuted from within. It's about saints that became saints during times where 
they were actually persecuted from within the church. And I kind of look back on some of the early ch- uh, church fathers, thinking about it kind of with some, you know, rosy glasses, maybe where everyone's on fire for the Holy Spirit. Everyone's getting martyred. Everyone's going to heaven. Like it's awesome. People are on fire. Uh, if not, there were more church politics going on. There were more heresies going on. Uh, it was not an easy time to be around as a Catholic for sure. And so after reading a lot of that, I think it gives me a lot of peace knowing that like, yes, this came out and yes, it's confusing and yes, it's going to do damage, but that doesn't, isn't going to deter me from my commitment to live the truth and to live uh, and protect true Catholic teachings, to make my family a part of that, to catechize my family on that, to, to further catechize myself. So if anything, I think it should just be a, those stories should be bolstering us to like continue to live in a time where there might be tension because really that's what Jesus did. So if your your true north is Jesus, we're all going to be okay. Uh, if anything, we need to batten the hatches here and buckle up because that's what being a Catholic is. So we move now into uh, a little bit of Catholic vote news. We have a matching gift end of year, and we also need some votes for hero of the year. So the hero of the year competition has gotten down to two people. Uh, you need to head over and vote. We'll have the link there. Uh, go put the stamp on the victor. But the Loopcast is made possible by generous supporters of Catholic Vote. Thanks to an especially generous couple, every donation you make to the end of the year will be doubled. So you can go to loopcast.org to see how to double your impact today. Help us out. Those donations go directly to the Loopcast. Keep us producing these uh, long, nice editing. It all is possible because of you. So thank you for all your support and consider supporting us to help with this match campaign. So next action somewhat equally as shocking. Trump has been disqualified from the 2024 presidential primary ballot in the state of Colorado. The highest court in Colorado decided on a 4-3 vote <laughs> that he had violate, violated the 14th, uh, 14th Amendment's ban on insurrectionists holding office. Josh, any uh, initial reactions to this news? Total, total, total garbage ruling. I figured that was coming. I mean, the thing is, what they're trying to say is that he called for an insurrection and therefore he should not be eligible to run for office anymore, citing the 14th Amendment on that, because the idea was, you know, someone who's actually cited rebelling against the United States should not hold elective Wait, office. Didn't, didn't, you, didn't you do that on January 6th? Hold on a second. Yeah, well, first of all, said. January 6th was a, was a stupid idea, the Capitol riot, and I I criticized Trump at the time. I thought it was reckless. You know, he was getting people ginned up. But then at the end of the day, he said, okay, kind of chill out, guys. Too much. But you can't kick him from the ballot unless you actually convict the guy. Are you convicting him of insurrection? You know, was there a trial? Was he found guilty by, a you know, a jury of his peers? Then, yes, you'd have a case to take him off the ballot. But this just strikes me as, a first of all, like a, why are you doing this? The Democrats, why are you doing this? Like you're trying to make him a martyr? It's so easy for people on the other side to say, you're afraid of him because you know he'll beat you. So I, th- I just feel like this is reinforcing, you know, Trump as martyr. I think it's not going to be, I think it's going to help Trump. I think it's very stupid. I think the Supreme Court is going to knock this one back 9-0 and say, no, of course he can be on the ballot. But more importantly, what have the Democrats been saying for the last three years? They said January 6th, right? All the all the Republicans in Congress they who decided not to vote for the re- election results, Democrats and I. By the way, I did not agree with the the uh, Republicans who did that. I thought the election was stolen. Yes, 
I also thought the fraud and corruption should have been dealt with before the election. I've said this a lot. And once the ballots were counted, you weren't going to put the genie back in the bottle. They had done the deed and the evidence wasn't going to be there. You weren't going to fight it. And so when all the Republicans, uh, not all of them, but when a bunch of Republicans on January 6th voted not to certify the election, I thought that was a foolish part on their hand. I did not support that action. If I were a representative or senator on that day, I would have voted to certify the results, even if I knew it was fake, because it's like, sorry, it was too late to do anything. There was no way to prove that it was stolen, even though we pretty much knew it was, right? Okay, so the Democrats said, you are trying to overturn the election by refusing to certify the election. You are trying to, you're, you're attacking democracy, right? That's what they said. They weren't saying that just of the people who rioted and went through the Capitol building. They were saying that of the members of Congress, the Republican vote, members of Congress who refused to certify the election. They said, you are undermining democracy. You're trying to overthrow the election results of the people of the state of Michigan, the state of Wisconsin. You're trying to overturn the, res the election. Well, what do you call trying to remove someone from the ballot for no just reason? That's right. an attack on democracy if I've ever heard What's it. What's the threat to democracy and, from a court? Right. And in fact, totally hilarious, the leader of El Salvador, I can't even say the guy's name because I don't know people's, how to pronounce people from other countries. Pukele. He said, the United States has lost its ability to lecture any other country about democracy. That's what he just said about Trump being boosted from the ballot. Way to go, bro. It's like, I love it. It's like, hey shots fired. Yeah. No, it was great. It was a great little pushback on all this stuff. I mean, Democrats who are complaining for all these attacks on democracy, and they're the ones trying to use shenanigans to make sure that Trump isn't even on the ballot. Mercerism. If Democrats didn't have double standards, they wouldn't have standards at all. Boom, boom, <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> That's a good one. Put that on his tombstone. Uh, so I, I got to imagine here. I don't want that, Democrat on my tombstone. I, <laughs> uh, I got to imagine here like they. So, so this is a genuine question when I saw this. Like, of course, there's no way this lasts, right? The Supreme Court's going to overturn it. And actually in the document, they did say it was stayed until a higher court uh, takes us on, which the only higher court is the Supreme Court. Uh, so my thought was. No, do the four not the only one. What are you talking about? Uh, the, the Circuit Court of Appeals could remove it. It wouldn't even have to get the Supreme Court. Oh, that's a good point. You know. um, sorry, but I was thinking eventually get to Supreme Court. Anyway. Right, 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 right. The, the four justices that did this, uh, and of course, Wall Street Journal. You in know, Colorado, were, right? Yeah. In, Col in Colorado. The four Supreme Court justices in Colorado, you know, we're talking about he met all the conditions for insurrection and that he shouldn't be able to run. And I have to admit, like in my head, I'm like, do these people, are they, do they have so much hubris to just try to stick it to him in the short term? that they wouldn't see how this would benefit his campaign. Right. I don't understand that. Like we just did this in 2016. How well, short are their memories? That or, or they raided Mar-a-Lago. Remember him. they raided Mar-a-Lago and that basically oh, shot man. his candidacy. Like DeSantis was or getting momentum. Every time he gets indicted, there's exactly. another bump in his ratings. You're like, it's, they are feeding into all of the, he can just, he could lean into this. They're persecuting me. They are the threat to democracy, which I agree with. They want and they want to get at you, and I'm want, standing in the way. I'm standing in the way with his big Captain yeah, America shield. It's very smart. So they yeah. must they must think then that their only chance of beating him is if they beat him on a legal technicality, because they're just throwing away. You know, if we do this, we know it's going to boost him in the polls, but we need to lock him up. Basically, that's the only way we beat him because he's not going to 
lose to Biden. Yeah. In my darker right? moments, in my darker moments, I think they want him to win in a way in November. And then there's well, going to the be does. Mass, I think that's yeah, true. Yeah. Oh, for the media. Which is line their pockets with a Trump victory. Uh, that would be pretty sweet. They for would them. make a lot of more money. CNN it's is true. back if Trump gets in the office for sure. Yeah. Did you see though, um, comedian Bill Burr was on, uh, what is the, I never watched these talk show hosts, but I saw a clip, Jimmy, uh, I think it was Kimmel, right? Kimmel. Yeah. yeah, it was in Kimmel. And he's like, he's back. You know it. He's going to win. You did this to it. You guys couldn't help yourselves. You indicted him. And uh, now he's going to be back. We're going to have him again. And now <laughs> it's like, oh, like kind of scarily frightened. It, yeah. it wasn't It wasn't like Kimmel or the audience was like, nah, that's not going to happen. Oh, yeah. They're all like, oh, nervous laughter. Like, uh, what? Uh, what? Really? No, I hope not. Uh this guy was on Jen Psaki's show and she was asking him basically like fear porn of like, what could Trump possibly do if he gets back in office? And he rattled off all of these things that he could potentially do. One of the things being he could turn off the internet. <laughs> <laughs> he would never do that. That's his platform. <laughs> He's a narcissist. Well, the best part too is that like, <laughs> I think it was Jen Psaki who even said it. Like if he gets elected, he might not leave office. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> He got elected once before and thought he should have been, re it was reelected and he thought the election was stolen, but yet he still left office peacefully, but he's somehow not going to do that in four years. I mean, these oh people, it, again, job. you know, they're just the chicken little. There was another one. This was on uh, NBC and the guy goes, if Trump is reelected, we will be embroiled in World War Three." I'm like, wait. Wait, wait, wait. What's happened under Biden? <laughs> like, yeah. I think well, you have the wrong guy. They, they keep He's going to get us into him. World War III. I think oh, he I said, like, oh, I'm going to be a dictator on day one. And they keep using that. as like, you're literally going to indict a dictator. Of course, that's stuck now with all the, the news outlets. The Night of outlets. the Long Knives. That was another prediction. Yeah, but. He's going to um, assassinate all the generals. Hilarious that they're like, when he comes back in office, there's going to be political warfare. And I'm like, oh, like there hasn't been political warfare mm. for the past three years. What's going years? on right now? Like, yeah, so it's just odd when people, they're just so terrified of this guy who, it's crazy because like what's been radically changed about our country since 2020 to 2023, for example, the border has been completely and utterly gutted, radically changed in that way. So if Trump comes back in and he's like, yep, I'm going to add teeth back to ice, we're going to build an actual wall on the border, uh, we're going to actually you know send people back to Mexico, they can't stay in the country, that's what they're considering like dictator moves, but that's just a return to normalcy. That's a return to the America that's existed 200 years before 2020. Right. It's actually it's actually doing exactly what Senator John Fetterman is calling for. So <laughs> it true. would be good for Democrats, right? Because that's jo what they want. Josh, to the now. latest. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to jump the shark on a Twilight Zone, but Fetterman just said that he is opposing U.S. steel being bought by a Japanese country. Him, J.D. Vance, and Hawley, I think, are the three saying like. This is unbelievable that we would even allow this to happen as a country. And Fetterman's like, yeah, there's no way this should be a Japanese country. And everyone's like, where did this come from? <laughs> He's on Strange a roll right times. now. Strange times. Strange bedfellows. I kind of disagree with them Ooh. on that particular issue. But I just like that. I just like that you have, for every once in a while, politicians having unorthodox opinions instead of just like the market Uberalis. You know, I mean, sometimes you have to think, does this make sense? You know, and. Why do you disagree? In with that, that case, I'm not sure that I, you know, the U.S. Steel Company, for example, hasn't been doing really any investments at all over the last 15 years, and so this Japanese company might actually bring it up to date, save the jobs. Maybe I don't necessarily. I'm not like totally, you know. I actually like 
free trade and free enterprise for the most part. I just don't like it when we do it with China and it guts us. Do you see? Do you see that as a national idea. security problem, though? Not having a U.S. Um, company. I, I, I was looking into that, and I, I mean, it certainly would have been the case, in, you know, from the 1940s through like the 1980s or whatever. But I think the percentage of steel that our military uses is a lot less than it was before. So, how much of a threat it would be? I would think it's not as big of a threat really at all that much anymore. But I could be wrong. I'm my cursory view of that. It's not necessarily like 19. 52 in other yeah, words that's interesting i feel like now it would be more like microchips or something like that because the military has gone so technical like if we don't produce our own microchips yeah actually i'd be more i'd, I'd actually want the pentagon to be more concerned about you know yes that kind of technology yeah making sure that doesn't get into the hands of enemies that's more more important than steel let's say for sure so uh yeah trump will be back and this did nothing but make him more popular so i don't I'm really truly trying to get to the bottom of the motivations of this move I'm really having a hard time. I don't. Well, see I think the reason sense. why is that they felt like if you had asked the Democrats a year ago, they would have thought Ron DeSantis is a very formidable candidate, and they were kind of worried about him. Like if we get Trump nominated again, he'll lose again, and then we'll be just fine. And so a lot of their movements make sense if you think about it that way. But the problem is, what if Trump is actually? I mean, I keep telling this to people: like Trump won once already. He barely lost the second time. The idea that he couldn't win a third time, you know, on, on a third try, like he actually could. You know, you're basically starting with uh, a floor of 47%. So if you could just convince some of the people last time, like, hey, you know what? Wasn't the economy better when I was there? I'm a businessman. I think he's probably going to win people over. And that's why all the polls show him right now up by about three, four points, which He's never really been that high in the polls before. This is, he really is, they are kind of, Democrats are sweating. Um, Obama uh, was saying like, he's fearful Trump can't get, uh, he's fearful Trump could, will beat Biden. He's, he's really worried that Biden won't be able to pull it off. It's not COVID 2020 anymore. Running for the basement may not work as much. People might actually expect Biden to actually get out there and campaign. We'll see. We just got to make sure that no one bites any bats in the Asia Pacific region, region <laughs> to impact the election here. It was a bat. Uh, Erica, Glad you got to the bottom of that one. We're going to go into the Twilight Zone and you're up first. Oh, man. Yeah. Where, where have we been this, this whole, whole episode's time? a Twilight Zone. What are you <laughs> talking <Seriously>? about? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to need to lie on a leather couch for the rest of the day and just like <laughs> do therapy. All right. So I'm going to go with this is a little bit, a uh, little bit, a couple weeks old now, but Chicago's progressive mayor, Chicago, Brandon Johnson, he announced his plans to axe the high achieving selective enrollment high schools in Chicago proper uh, because he wants to boost equity. He's, he's concerned about equity. He wants to shift Chicago schools back from having these charter schools that kids compete to get into to having neighborhood schools in the in the wonderful neighborhoods of inner city Chicago. So I was like, okay, what's going to go on? Maybe all these white kids are busing into Chicago's selective charter high schools and prep schools, and they're just taking advantage of, of the school's existence. I actually went and looked up the minority enrollment stats for the schools that Johnson wants to get rid of. You ready for this one? No surprise. So Northside College Preparatory, very elite school, 64% minority enrollment. And there's a few more of the 11 schools that are, that are in the 60% range for minorities. 
But then we get into, for example, King College Prep, which is arguably the best of the schools. 97% minority enrollment. And by minority, I don't mean Asians. All right. We also have Lindblom Math and Science Academy, 97% Black and Hispanic students. Gwendolyn Brooks, 99% Black and Hispanic students. So this guy, Mayor Brandon Johnson, in the name of equity, wants to make all the Black kids in Chicago equally miserable. He's like, you are all going to be below literacy rate. The literacy rate for the regular Chicago public schools is below 18%. That means they can't read when they're 18 years old. And this is so just, again, this crazy progressive policy, which has nothing to do about benefiting Black children or disadvantaged kids in inner city Chicago and everything about destroying their best chance of getting out of that situation. I just had to call that out. It was just mind-blowing to go through these statistics from U.S. News and World Report and then look next to his statement of somehow these schools are disadvantaging Black kids. So I read something go. interesting, and maybe you guys know more about this, but the fa- people that become mayors of cities often don't go on to any higher political positions. Well, in this case, that's probably a really good thing. Usually because they do a horrible job or they have to make like agreements. They have to like take handshakes with people that put them at like a political disadvantage, like could be brought up in the future for corruption or like they're aligned with too many people or whatever. And I mean, nothing makes me think that more than Chicago mayors. I mean, you look back to Lori Lightfoot. Lori Lightfoot. Uh, Rob, Rob Blagovich, the guy with the gray hair. How do we pronounce that? You know what I'm talking about? Rob Bogloyevich was the governor. Oh, he was the governor. He wasn't a mayor, though. Yeah, he was a corrupt governor. So the, don't worry. Illinois got corrupt governors, too. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah they got mm-hmm. it all. <laughs> Not limited to Chicago. <laughs> yeah, geez. You don't have to buy off the current governor of Illinois because he's a multi-billionaire, but yeah, you know, he's just as evil. No, I mean, it, and it's and it's sad. I mean, it's like, you know, the you get these alternative magnet schools or whatever. And now the, the politics of inner cities get to be such that even they have to be smashed like ornaments. And it's like, what, to what end? I guess we should blame Republicans because you know, (laughs) Chicago is a Republican city, right? It's probably all these conservatives. No, Josh, you're being cute about that. This guy, uh, mayor Brandon, he said that, what did he say? Like MAGA Republicans are the reason why Chicago's terrible? Like oh, in yeah. yeah. MAGA press extremist Republicans are threatening the democracy that is the Chicago. Well, they City went Hall. after Juicy Moulet, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Ju- justice for Juicy. <laughs> Still got to have justice for Juicy. Justice for Juicy. <laughs> because the first thing that people think about when they think about Illinois and Chicago is Republicans. Um, <laughs> yeah. Jeez, what are They just can't bear the fact that they've been in charge there for 60 years, 100 years, always. And it's such a mess. <laughs> like, and they're got to blame the people stinks. who have never had power to do anything. So we sort of operated with benign neglect on these cities. Like, well, whatever, they're just crazy. But maybe we should, you know, use the power of government and liberate the people of these towns, you know, and, and get them school choice and get them, you know, tax-free zones or whatever. Just don't let yeah, them good luck languish. You, you know that uh, Chicago's famous for mobs kind of running the government and their modern day mob is uh, the teachers unions. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, it just changes. So, Josh, your Twilight Zone, what's going on? So, the New York Times did a review of Chip Chilla, the new uh, show put out by 
Bent the key. homeschooling bent chinchillas. <laughs> yes. We so love this chip bent key what they is, say. is uh, by Daily Wire, right? The, guy, the conservatives at Daily Wire created this network called Bent Key, and there's this show, Chip Chilla, right? And so the New York Times decides to review it. Well, they, were, they did not like it. <laughs> they were upset because the dad, this homeschooling dad, teaches their kids about, quote, dead white people. Now, just so you understand, these dead chinchilla. white people just happen to be people like, I don't know, George Washington, Neil Armstrong, Ben Franklin, you know, people who might have made a difference in, the, you know, history at all. You know. Wait, are they chinchillas in the show? Like, are they are they like white chinchillas? Well, I think George Washington <laughs> appeared like as a duck or something like that. It's a cartoon, obviously, right? But the problem oh, is that this gosh. cartoon is a dead white duck instead of a, you know, a, a black duck, which would have been fine, I guess. You know, it's just. It's oh, ridiculous. Man. It's absolutely Twilight Zone. But what it gets to, right, is conservatives complain about Disney for going full jihad rainbow and CRT and diversity and all that kind of stuff, right? And the liberals say, well, then create your own Disney. So the conservatives at Daily Wire organize, fund, and create an alternative. And what do the New York Times say? No, not like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I see. So if we you. complain about Disney, we're supposed to make a Xerox copy that's just as gay? I mean, I don't understand. <laughs> like, it's so stupid. It's almost like they're lying. Gay chinchillas? Uh, Josh, I think you- There are you no missed, gay chinchillas. You missed the most humorous element of this, I think, though. In the article, they were complaining about how the chinchilla father was too present to his children and how that was an unrealistic standard that didn't match the- reality of the world because fathers shouldn't be right. present to their children. Which is actually really sad and kind of makes me feel a lot of pity for whoever wrote this review because you're yeah. like, aww. I don't understand this argument. Like, well, actually that's not technically realistic. Oh yeah, like every TV commercial you've done about dads for the last 40 years were a bunch of dundering idiots. Like, that's realistic? Like, every dad is an idiot? Give well, me a break. and I mean, look, they're homeschooling chinchillas. That's not exactly <laughs> realistic. Like, can we just have a little... <laughs> What, most chinchillas <laughs> go to Chesterton Academies or what? Yeah, most, most chinchillas, I think they ship their kids off to boarding school. Yeah, no, they go to public school and they become gay chinchillas. They become like LGBTQ <laughs> chinchillas. Some chinchillas eat their young. I mean, come on, we want to really be realistic hey, let's here. Hey, let's be, past, let's be pastoral and open it up to the chinchillas to do whatever they want. <laughs> oh, no <man>. judgment <laughs> passed on that. I, I, do I even... Let's just top this off. This is the gay episode. I'm just going to say it. This is the gay episode. This episode is a oh, little gay. But I'm not going to do this. You are. I'm going to do it. You're going to do this. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Kids listening, turn off. Yeah. It's time to turn off. If your kids are in the van, turn off the show right now. I don't understand. Go on Bluetooth. Yeah. I don't understand how this was ever written or came about. But if you're unaware, um, people, there was a man, a Senate staffer who uh, committed uh, the act of sodomy i don't know if he's uh, seeking a blessing right now but we'll see in the really. senate judiciary room uh and they videotaped it and they sent it to this group chat of gays in in the capitol i mean just an on that already enough that's not even the twilight zone which is just shocking that's not a twilight zone but um, that they did it that they recorded it and that they shared it all three are like all what, three what what all three worthy of twilight zone status but alas that is not the world we live can we in right top now. it Yes, we can, we can top it. We can top it. So, you know, a journalist picked this up and they decided they were going to write an article on it and, you know, wanted to be really faithful to the truth. 
And they said, fired for his act of love in the Senate. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the headline was, Aiden Mace, uh, he's got a Polish last name, act was symbolic and brave because in a world full of hate, displays of love are rebellious. We shouldn't bend over to a party that hates. We must do the opposite. Ooh, that's this an unfortunate is, turn of phrase there. Yeah. Yeah. This Hopefully this has been uh, turned phrasing. off by this point. Bending uh, over they to weren't the party. Too, they weren't too careful about their phrasing. Uh, but uh, this article was written and they were mad that he got fired for filming him committing this act in a Senate building. And that wasn't even, none of this is, by the way, I'm still going. I'm still, I'm still rocking. <laughs> so here's the payoff here. And in a time when the LGBTQ community is under existential threat by white fragility feeling threatened, open displays of LGBTQ culture are necessarily brave. In some ways, Aiden's act mirrored that of Anne Frank, who dared to express her honest thoughts and feelings, even as she hid from rabid insurrectionist style death squads. Um, I'm gonna let that one simmer. I, <laughs> I can't um, even. I mean, that's just—it's amazing that that would actually be the most disgusting aspect of this entire story. That's actually that's that is so uh, disgusting. That's, what? That's Herculean in its. They feet. know she's Jewish, right? Guys, Not you got sure you got to give me credit here. Th let's let's talk about all the threads that I just wove through here. We have LGBTQ community. That was a major part of the first part. Insurrectionist style, major part of the second story. Um, Anne Frank was a new one. Uh, Anne Frank kind of came out of nowhere, but um, so. No, I think it fits. I think it fits. Anne Frank was a child who was literally being hunted down by Nazi death squads. Uh, hardly, hardly analogous to the LGBTQ community. I mean, I didn't even talk about this, Erica. They said open displays of LGBTQ culture. So sex tapes and Senate buildings that's not culture, are LGBTQ. Bro. That is not culture. culture. That's what they're that's calling just, culture. That's just right. boring. I think we need to stop. I don't think I could go another step. Well, I mean, I would say we do have to pray. Yeah. yeah. And the idea is that the Catholics listening, you know, are you frustrated? Um, do you feel a little beleaguered? Do you feel a little bit confused? And uh, hey, I just want to let you know, I feel that way too. You, you, you're okay to feel like that. Um, and you know what? Honestly, take it up with our Heavenly Father and say, I'm just trying to be faithful to you and your son, Jesus, and I don't understand what is going on. And uh, I'm frustrated and I'm annoyed. And that's, that's fine. That's fair. Like this idea that, well, I feel really annoyed and frustrated by this, and I just got to wipe that all away and bury it and smother it. Like, I, you know, no. It's okay to be upset at, at, at what's going on in this country and in this church. And it's okay to feel like, what in the world? Why even even bothering it? I, that's a very natural human. If you didn't feel like that, I, I'd think something was wrong with you. And so I would just say you need to take it up in prayer. And and just say, come, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner, and help me to not lose uh, lose faith. Yeah, and look, like I know it's Christmas. Christmas is coming up a couple days after we drop this episode. But over the last few days, the what's really been coming to my mind um, is that scene from the Passion of the Christ, where Peter has just denied our Lord for the third time, right? And the cock crows. 
And he looks up, he sees Christ, Jesus makes eye contact with him. You remember this scene. I'd encourage you to go back and watch it. And it, it's okay in that moment to, to feel like this crowd is just like going crazy all around you. But then Peter, who does he run into? He runs into the Blessed Mother. And I think this was such a, a key moment in this movie. And he falls down at the feet of Mary. Mary holds out her hand and he can't even take her, her blessing um, because he's so broken. And, and I think it's okay to feel, like Josh said, to, to feel like Mary in that moment and to, like Mary Magdalene, and to watch your son's best, dearest friend and the head of the church completely betray him and abandon him and to just stand with her in that moment. And uh, I, I know it's Christmas, but Passion of the Christ, that's okay. Spend a little time with that thought this time of year too. There's no passion without Christmas. Then, um, Yeah, I, I appreciate the thoughts from both of you. And that's hope, hopefully what I'm hoping to impart is that like we should come to expect these kind of feelings. It's not like, oh, this is crazy. It's never happened before. And we shouldn't be feeling this. Like everyone actually should be feeling this as a part of being Catholic, as a part of being human. So the, when you do that mindset switch, I think it really changes. It's changed a lot for me personally of like, I am embracing this. Like, this is what I should expect here. And I shouldn't expect anything else. And once you make that adjustment, you can now move forward and like, how do I tackle this head on? And so I hope that, you know, information here is helping you tackle this head on. You can acknowledge the problems and call them out, um, but you can move forward. So uh, wishing you all a very Merry Christmas. Uh, this will be the last podcast uh, until Christmas. We're going to all be enjoying time with our families. We hope you are with yours as well. Uh, if you want to help the program out, give us a little Christmas shout out, reviews, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can email me at lucas at catholicvote.org. And uh, especially, we need a little, especially need some prayers this week. Uh, St. Fidelis, St. Thomas More, Our, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Pray for us. And we will see you guys after Christmas. 